Hello and welcome back to the Outside and Active podcast. Now, you may be thinking, hold on, wasn't there already a podcast episode uploaded this week? Well, if you're thinking that, then yes, you'd be absolutely correct. There was a podcast episode uploaded already this week. However, somewhere along the way, the audio was corrupted. Uh, This episode was with Harrison, aka The Fell Foodie, so have no fear. This will be back next week. But in the meantime, we have an incredibly inspiring episode ready to bring you with Michael Coates. In this week's episode of the Outside and Active podcast, we welcome former military man and endurance sports specialist Michael Coates. Michael joined the British Army aged 16, serving nearly six years with the Royal Engineers. During his service, Michael spent time in Iraq during the conflict at the beginning of 2003 and then again at the end of the year. After returning to civilian life, Michael then spent another nine years in the fire service. Coates also hosts the award-winning podcast Declassified. This podcast documents amazing stories from members of the military community. His guests include military cross winners, athletes, partners of those who have served, high-ranking commanders and normal veterans who have gained extraordinary experiences. By declassifying stigmas and perceptions, he wishes to open up issues around mental health, fitness and well-being. Alongside all of this, he is also a serial endurance athlete, taking on grueling challenges to push his body and mind to the limit. In this podcast, we dive into the specifics of these challenges and find out just why he has such a love-hate relationship with them. Just before we jump into the conversation with Coatsy, a quick note to say that this episode does contain strong language. Also a quick warning that we do touch on issues of suicide and serious mental health. Sorry for the slightly longer introduction, but without further ado, please enjoy listening to Michael Coates. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Outside and Active podcast. I'm very happy today to be joined by Michael Coates. Coatsy, how are you doing? I'm very well, thanks. Good, good. And we're going to start with uh, a piece of advice that last week's guest left. Um, a guy called Harrison Ward, otherwise known as the Fell Foodie, and he's someone who had a uh, a difficult time with drink and through a relationship, and and was uh, his mental well being was spiraling down um, to the point where he was having suicidal thoughts and issues, and all of a sudden, a cathartic moment in his life, stopped drinking, and decided to take to the hills up in the Lake District and completely change his life around and start walking, hiking and eating outdoors. And, and that's what he does today. So his piece of advice um, for you is to uh, enjoy the smaller things in life. Obviously, there's big moments and big things, but sometimes we let life go by and we just sometimes want to stop and smell the roses. So that's his piece of advice. Enjoy the smaller things in life and we'll get a chance for you at the end to offer you your piece of advice to the next podcast guest but we'll start off with a really simple question what do you love about being outside and active well um, I think it goes down in a few different parts and it leads on from from um, that piece of advice really and it's the simple things it's not uh, being being outside in nature and being outside whether it's in your garden or whether it's in the Lake District can just provide that kind of solace the simplicity of life you know we overcomplicate quite a lot, um, but it just brings me brings me back down, br- makes me think. And I think in life, especially when you're manic and busy and frantic and, and all these other things that we can often live by now in, in, in modern life, uh, thinking is or allowing your brain to think and allowing your brain to relax and and just being is is one of the key things and being outside uh being in in water especially water because you can't have any technology it just allows my brain to think and pause and and rest and then process problems and think of new ideas and and kind of evaluate kind of life really and how would you describe michael coates and what you do to someone who might not know you (sighs) (laughs) <laughs> well, a trier, a try, a try hard at things, um, whether that's, you know, in business or in my life, um, we do several things really. I'm a, I'm a dad uh, and that's, that's the most important thing to me. Um, although I don't talk about my children lots on podcasts or social media, it's, and I do that purposely because I want to protect them away from certain things. And I want them to live their own life. Um, equally, I want them to see me living by example or, or, or being a good role model to them. 
Um, but I, I, I run a small business. I publicly speak a lot about well-being, and and we can talk about things like suicide and and right up to kind of good psychological health and everything in between. Um, I host a podcast called Declassified that that we've been doing for about four years, and I, I love and hate in equal measures um, endurance events, like kind of self-imposed endurance events. I think that's perfect. I kind of want to touch on each of those things. And I think that the first thing is being active because you are following you you're on Instagram and you are always doing something, but it's not just when people set aside time to go for a run or for a swim or something like that. You are just doing something, your general life, your functional fitness is, it's just all the time, isn't it? I mean, talk about your background with, uh, with about being active. Yeah. Do you know, it's good when you get a bit older. I'm 39 now and I reflect a lot. and I look back at my childhood quite a lot. And because of the podcast and we get really in depth with people, I've kind of become a, um, uh, not a psychologist, but, but I, I, I empathize. I, I, I've developed empathy and I practice empathy. And I look back at my childhood and there was some good stuff. There was some bad stuff. And but I was always active and I was always really focused. I, I, you know, I might be like nine or 10 and I'd be with friends in a local park, jumping in lakes with no parental guidance, just jumping in, diving down, picking up freshwater mussels in my local park in the middle of Hull. Um, and just being active, being on my bike. I, I was quite a, like a loner when I was in my teens, I didn't, I wanted to, I just wanted to join the army. So I'd go to army cadets. And apart from that friendship group, I'd, I'd really have nobody. So I'd just be out on my bike by myself quite a lot. Um, I'd, I'd train and run. I'd do like two mile runs when I'm 13, 14, just cause I knew that I wanted to, to join the military and that was my aim. Um, so yeah, it goes back from, from then really just this, this ability just to get up and get moving. Didn't have the right kit didn't have the right trainers, all that kind of business, but just set aside and just went and did it. Academically, I, won't, I wasn't particularly interested. Um, but still, I just wanted to push and push. And then and joined the army at 16, um, did six years in, and was always trying to be the fittest, especially during training, because that's just what I knew how to do. And I just had this ability to push until I was sick. That's the, that's the truth, just push and push and push and push. Um, because I wanted to, I wanted to impress the people around me. I wanted to impress the, the senior people within within that organisation, and I wanted to almost say, "Yeah, I can do whatever it is." And and my way of doing it was physical, um, and that's tra- that's transcended all the way through. Really, not so much about impressing people now, but it's this inner bit, this inner drive that I've got where um, I need to do it within me to make myself strong. You know, to be active now is about, can I save someone else's life? Can I save my life? Um, Can I run away? Can I run towards danger really? And like, I may never need that ever again in my life, but I'd rather be in a position where I've got it in the bag than, than not. So that's how I use my like functional fitness now and, um, but I also categorize functional fitness, not just being active physically, but emotionally, psychologically, uh, socially, financially, maybe as well. Yeah. So um, it's, it's I don't know if that answers your question, yeah. but that's where. It's, it's interesting you say like when you were younger, diving into lakes and whatever and picking up the muscles, that was kind of just like youth freedom and being active for you. But you, you kind of said there, joining the military, you were kind of, were you still doing it for you, like the, or were you kind of trying to prove people wrong, or were you just trying to stand out from the the rest around you? Not, not wrong, because I was, because I was always fit and and fast. Yeah. So uh, physically, people knew I was going to do it because I was excellent in the army cadets. Yeah. Not at school, but physically at school, I was the best or one of the best army cadets. I was one of the best, um, and no one thought I couldn't. I couldn't do that, but it was about impressing, about impressing people and about doing it to be the, to be the best one because my brother was in as well. So I kind of didn't want to let him down. 
Yeah. I think that's what it is as well. It's like not, not, not letting the group around you down as well. And I loved, I, I think I wanted like a belonging. I wanted a group because I didn't really have it that much at, at home or at yeah. school growing up. I wanted, I really wanted to have a tight group of people around me and I wanted to be able to contribute. I think, and that was the most important thing. Like, can I, can I contribute, not let people down, be competent, perform as best I can? I mean, I think people that I've met that have served and been in the military, that's exactly what it seems to be. There is a real sense of shared goal, togetherness and camaraderie. I, I presume that was your experience as well. Yeah. And, but that's not all the time. That's not all the time. And some of the, the, the greatest experiences around that have been when I left, you know, whether that's been in the fire service or whether that's been, you know, in a recent, you know, last year we, we did a big swim I, and there was mates of mine who were civilians, mates of mine who, who were ex-military that were, were supporting that. And I've never, that, that was such a, a tight group for that 24 hour period. And that shared goal. So I think it's about getting the right people around you, really. Because the military, it, it recruits from all walks of society. And not everyone who, who joins or stays there are good. But you do get lots of great people within it. And um, so it's not to, to detract from that fact. But sometimes you get people that are selfish, just like in society. Sometimes you get people who are uh, amazing, who want to contribute and all the rest of it. Um, and everything, everything that goes along with that. But ge- generally speaking, you are very goal focused, and it's and it's immediate goal. Like, like for me, I was in the Royal Engineers. Like, build that bridge, build that tower, blow that tank up, do this task, task, task. Yeah. You know. And how was your experience of serving? What years did you serve between? Two thousand, beginning of two thousand. And then I got out um, end of 2005. So it was the beginning of Iraq. So I was, I did Iraq 2003. And then I went again later that year for the, for the second time. So 2003 into 2004. Um, I kind of missed the trick really because all the Afghan stuff started after that. But, uh, but at that point I was a bit disillusioned by it all. And yeah. Uh, you know, I'd been, I, 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 didn't, I was just, I think it was the communication from high. I just was like, oh, I need to, I need to get out and going, experience something new. Going from being an active, fit, energetic teenager, it's one thing, but then going and serving in the military, that's a whole different, that's not just being fit and strong and mentally strong. That's going through experiences that I can imagine were extremely tough. <sighs> In training, you mean, or in general? Well, in, in, in general, being in, in that sort of time period as well, where during the war and... Um... Do you know what? I was too young and, and stupid and and not for me, not for me, because it was easier than being at home. Joining up, going through training, easier than being at home. Going away, loved it. Especially that first one, loved it. I actually... I've said this now before, but I, I was down to go to Canada on like a training thing. And um, a mate of mine was in the, the troop. So I'd got sent that way and he'd got sent, he was on the, he was on like the orders to go to Iraq, yeah. but he was the same trade as me and every, all that kind of stuff. But his wife was pregnant and I was, I was single. So I went and, I went and stitched him up really. I went to the troop commander. It was a bit naughty. And I said, Oh, look, and I explained the situation. I said, can we swap? I didn't even ask him. He didn't even know that, that that's what happened. <laughs> I think he ended up going in the end, but I just, I was swap. desperate to go and do whatever it was. And you don't, you, you never want to miss out. So that was, that was Iraq in 2003, beginning, beginning of 2003. So for me, it was just about adventure. And young men have been doing this for thousands and thousands of years. Yeah. And um, right or wrongly, it's a, a very easy way of, of experiencing all different walks of life, getting adventure, being bored as well, doing shit jobs, all that kind of stuff that comes with it as well. Um, but I was fortunate, you know, I was doing, I was busy during that period as well until I got out really. And where did that want to join the military come from? Was it a family thing or was it something that you'd seen? I think I, I on my fifth birthday, I got, 
my mum had made me an army uniform because she couldn't buy them back then. So she'd made me something. <laughs> and then um, I remember getting a book on on the military or like Vietnam or something like that. And I remember having this book, this big old like book. It felt massive to me then, you know, being a kid. And then my 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 brother joined in 2004 or five, sorry, in 94, 95. And he was always away. And then, um, and then, so I think it was just a natural thing for me. And, and again, it's just like running away. I just wanted to escape. I wanted to escape and get away from everything. And so it was a, it was a, a, just a way out. It was the obvious way out. I could just, if I could just do all right on my GCSEs, which I didn't really, mm. but if I could just do all right and just scrape, then I knew then there was a career waiting for me um, straight after. And I didn't get in first. I had to wait three months. And in that three months, I went and worked at Asda. <laughs> Other supermarkets are available. <laughs> I always went to Asda. It was about five miles away from my house. I used to cycle there, cycle back every day. I was getting fitter and fitter during that period as well. So I was still prepping, but, but earning money. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, there we go. And then leaving the military and going into the fire service, was that a, a, an easy transition or was it quite difficult? Perfect. Yeah. It was absolutely perfect because I was just, just back in an environment where you're training, trying to get better, um, getting on courses, being around amazing people, amazing people. Um, banter's always there. So basically you go to work and you're just with all your best mates and you're with all your best mates and you're messing about and you're being serious and you're working and you've got to perform um, you're getting fitter, all that, all that stuff. So that, that to me was, um, a great environment. And that's where I started getting into more endurance sport as well. It, Cause I had time and I had time to read and think as well, back to that, that, that period. Um, and when you're around good people as well, it was getting, I think it was that I want to not secondhandly, I want to impress these lads. But, but also like I want to be, that's when I started realizing doing endurance sport makes you tough physically and, and mentally. And that's when I realized that like, I, I want to be the one that people look at and go, oh yeah, he's tough because he does, he does this stuff. But bear in mind at that, that time I was playing rugby league throughout the summer every, every, so I was like battling on the weekend, but then training for endurance sport during the week as well. Um, but that you could, one of those things has got to give. <laughs> I think saying that you love and hate endurance sport, the, I think a lot of people that do you know enjoy going through that will say the same thing. It's kind of like the punishment and and the that wall that you have to break through to go through to do endurance sports. And you, you can talk about this, a few different things that you've done, and would like to go on to the, one of the most recent things you've done as well. But what is it that either got you into it and what do you love the most about it or and, and hate the most about it? Um, yeah, because there's a fine line between love and hate with yeah. this one. Um, I like the last 10 seconds of the event. It's a weird one. If I, it's the last 10 seconds that I love the most and probably the, fe- the, the 10 minutes before kickoff. Oh, really? Because... There was 10 minutes before, kits prepped. You're as prepped as much as you can. The pressure then becomes, you're off. All you've got to do is the thing that you're trying to do. There's no more admin. That's someone else's problem. All you have to do is either run, kayak, swim, whatever, row, whatever you're you're doing. Um, And at that point, but I also love the planning, like coming up with a concept, whether that's a, you know, in, in previous years where we've gone and done an organized thing or like more like now where we plan our own stuff, our own events and then go, Oh yeah. So this is the concept. Oh, that won't work. That will work. Oh, there it is. Oh no, let's do it again. Then right. Who's going to support us and more now who can we get involved with this to make this the best it can be? What charities do we support? Why are we supporting it? Is the messaging right? Is it impacting us? Does it impact our, our, our friend friendship group or the wider community? Um, so I love all that during it. 
during the event. And I try and stick to like quite small endurance events. So I don't want to be doing stuff for two, three weeks because it just doesn't fit my life. But if I can do something really tough for a day, two days, three days, that's what I try and do. And then um, that, that period, I just kind of like try and meditate my way out of it. Just concentrate right there and then. Don't worry about five hours time or 10 hours time or 24 hours time. Just focus on right there because that's something I've learned. Because if I start thinking outside the next five seconds or the next speed stop, I start really suffering badly. And that's that that switch between what I was saying earlier on about um, allowing your brain to think. Well, you can still allow your brain to think, but actually just being very mindful in the moment is very, is very, um, is very powerful as well. And it's taught me a lot, especially the last swim I did. The last swim really taught me just to be in the moment and just, and that's, that's what I've learned beyond that, that 17 hours. Um, I've taken that into normal life really. So, you know, small endurance events can teach you quite a lot in a, in a short, short space of time. So I love planning the last 10 seconds, the, the 10 minutes before, I don't like particularly doing it. <laughs> <laughs> to give people listening and kind of the context and and a bit of an understanding of what sort of things that you've done, give kind of give a list of, I know you've done swims and rows and runs, but what sort of things have you done? Uh, the first notable thing in 2010 was before ultramarathons were a thing, really, uh, we flew through the Amazon and we did a planned uh, ultramarathon through a section of the Amazon. It was 222 kilometres through, uh, uh, that's called the Jungle Marathon. It's like a multi-stage thing. It was good. It was a really good experience. Um, so I did that. I've done uh, several ultramarathons, like day stuff, you know, 50 milers, 60 milers. Um, I've done the Devizes Westminster kayak race, which is a, a 125 mile non-stop. I think it's the longest single stage kayak race in the world. So that's with a, as a partner, that's a partnered event. There's two of you in a kayak. Um, so we've done that. I, I attempted something called the Petit Trot de Leon, which is the Mont Blanc's bigger brother. And we got about a quarter, uh, a third of the way into that. And we had to pull because it was just, it was just, it was a way up. We just, I just wasn't conditioned enough. I wasn't conditioned enough. Um, and then what else have we done? So yeah, a lot of more, a lot more ultra stuff running or shuffling around. And then we swam 26.2 miles in October down the Thames in 10 degree water. And then this year I've focused on some more little, like little marathons, like on the ski egg, can I do 26 miles, rowing machine. And then the last kind of, I suppose like the last bigger one was we got a 75 kg sled that uh, Beaver Fit made for us. And we pushed and pulled it 26.2 miles. That took 20 hours, 20 something hours and nonstop. And that was all about simulating, um, the weight of the average person, 75 kg in the UK, um, and a day in the life of someone who was suffering, who was in crisis. And we, we raised money for the charity uh, Calm, the campaign against living miserably. That was in silence. So we were essentially suffering in, suffering in silence. Mm. But, it, but I found that quite cathartic and therapeutic, actually. And you covered that on, on your Instagram. And why is that topic of mental health so important for you? Um, it, it's quite a tricky that's quite a tricky question to answer why is it important to me because a few things the word the words even just that that phrase that mental health people people associate with a negative connotation so most of my friends and people who I, I associate with have have extremely good mental health um, Several of them have, have got trauma issues, like psychological trauma issues, but that I don't class that as mental health. I class that as a trauma memory problem, you know, if lads have got PTSD and stuff. Um, but I want to, it's almost, 
I know 15 lads who have either attempted, and all, all men, right, who have attempted or planned their suicide. And all these men I know are tough, strong people. And I, I in 2009, I read a book. It was James Cracknell and Ben Fogel's Crossing of the Atlantic. And that gave me permission to sign up to my first endurance event. And then that's when I started realising there's this link between, you know, being psychologically tough and um, physically robust. Uh, And the things that we do now, I want to give people, I think the overriding thing is I want to give people permission to, 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 to be strong mentally. And um, I'm not a therapist or a counselor and a lot of the stuff we do is therapeutic activity. It's not therapy and we're not saying that it's, it's going to replace a professional, but it, it, it is good. And it is important for me to tell people, you know, doing this, going out swimming with your friends or with a group is really beneficial for you because a, a good, strong social support network is a good, strong social support network is, is critical for our, our health. Um, so I guess that's what it is really like. It, it's, it's giving people permission. I keep saying it because it's really resonates with me because it, because it's happened to me. So giving people permission to, to kind of, to just push themselves a little bit and to do therapeutic activities that supports their psychological well-being. Do you find that there's support for people that come out of the military when they obviously naturally some people do suffer with with um, with poor mental health? Is that an issue coming out of it? And do you find that they often don't talk about their issues when they come out of that landscape? This is a question that gets asked quite a lot, yeah. and I want to break it into some, and I want to kind of declassify some some um, misinformation. Yeah. So there is tons of support for for the, for the the men and women who leave our armed forces. Now I'm not going to get into the politics around the MOD and all the rest of it. It's not my area of expertise, and it can be quite subjective. But what's not subjective is the the big, medium, and small charities that are there to support. Could could we signpost better? Yep, definitely. Is there a need, uh, and, and is that need with regards to mental health? Right. So mental health. Yes, there's a big need, but that that spills over into things like financial support. Um, as well as loneliness and all this, like the plethora of, of things. And then if we look at mental health and we look at things like trauma, memory problems like PTSD. So a small proportion of those that were on frontline duties in places like Iraq and Afghanistan and then um, and, and other operations, a small percentage will get, uh, will, will, will be diagnosed with PTSD or, or express symptoms of PTSD. So do they need help? Yes. Many can slip through the, through the net for whatever reason. And in my opinion, for what I've seen, those guys slip through the net because their memories become too much of an issue, which then leads to poor mental health, which then can lead to isolation, which then can lead to maybe depression, anxiety, because the symptoms are not being addressed. The problem is not being addressed. And then they develop these other disorders and, and um, issues beyond that. So there's lots of support. The, the problems guys and girls face goes branches off, trauma, memory, mental health, physical disability, all this. Um, and it's understanding and where to signpost the person for the right thing and not misdiagnosing because it's very easy to misdiagnose from a GP's point of view, oh, you've been in the military, have you? And you've got these symptoms. That's PTSD. Well, I know for a fact that these guys out there that was that they tried pinning that on and they had depression because of their environment. So it's a complex thing that, and um, I mean, we, we address a lot of it in the podcast. Uh, and, 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 and the sad thing is everyone's got their own, take on it as well but I think you know that 
and and with regards to talking, the last twenty years, the people that are coming out, a lot do, a lot talk, a lot listen, uh, a lot go and speak to people, and um, and and find support. Some don't, some don't, because it's too tough. It's too tough for them to 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 bring it up. She's understandable. So that leads on to talking about Declassified, which you mentioned there, which is the podcast that I, I really implore people to to go and listen to that after this and check out some of the episodes because I've listened to quite a lot and the stories that you find from there are incredible and you describe them as military stories, but also dis- de- declassifying stigmas, which you've kind of touched on there, but go into that a little bit more. What's your purpose around the podcast? Yeah, so it's to declassify uh, stigmas around people who are suffering from from um, psychological and physical injury and, and ill health, really. Um, but it was also to support society. It's, the podcast uses those from the military community, and that can be a soldier, a marine, a, uh, a psychologist, but it can also mean a refugee as well. You know, we have a, a, a wide variety of, of guests that come on. Um and uh, yeah, and that's what we try and do. We try and give value from each episode. Uh, we don't just get people on because I want to chat with them. You know, it has to have a purpose around it. And then we tell their story from almost start to finish, really. You know, from from I, I generally start from childhood um, and finish. You know, on the on the day we were recording, really, or what's next. And um, it's uh, you know, it, it grew legs really that podcast we started it for just over four years ago and um we did a few episodes feeling like it you know it wasn't gonna take and it wasn't gonna you know we just let's just see what happens first one was with woody actually i, I think you've had on this yeah this this your podcast as well and um that really forged away really and then uh, we just kept going and loved it and just kept just kept going and it was really important for us like great sound great guests um really create a uh, something that the guest would be proud of, but but people could people could use, um, and it, like an evergreen product, I suppose, an evergreen asset, you know, for 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 that military community and society. Um, that 2019, we were nominated for best interview at the British Podcast Awards of all like the big hitters. Bear in mind, this is like a self funded project, yeah. um, and then 2020, we won best interview. So best interview podcast in the country and we came third in best well-being. And then this year, a month ago, we got best well-being, uh, third best well-being podcast as well. Again, you know, a million podcasts in the country. I think that was the biggest category. Um, and it's just, so that's testament to, to the people that are on, you know, the value they bring and, um, and what we can all, we can all learn from their experiences. And you've been in that community of people for a long time. I and mean, you would have known a lot of people that came onto the guest, but what's, uh, came on as guests, but what do you think is the biggest thing that you've learned from, and you've done sort of 40 to 50 podcast episodes? 100, oh, 103. More, oh, oh, double, um, doing you a disservice. But what do you think is the, the biggest thing that you've learned from doing that that you that you didn't think you would have? There's a few. The biggest things that have really cemented things for me is and I've mentioned it already, and it's the difference between PTSD being a trauma memory problem and poor mental health and the difference. That's the that's the number one thing. And understanding that and understanding like uh, you know, you've had some serious athletes on this. They would get physiotherapy each week, some sometimes daily in the run up to a big event, or if they're in like the Olympics or whatever. Um yet People, and not just like military, is a small subset really of, of those that are suffering from trauma. I've learned subsequently of doing this, people like paramedics are suffering in droves. They're not getting the therapy they need. Um, <clears throat> so it was highlighting that. So that's one thing, the difference between that and that. And then I've gone down rabbit holes of my own learning because every time you speak to someone, you're going to learn but if I'm if I really want to like broad brushstroke some stuff, it's um, the next thing really is addiction, like understanding what addiction is. Either you know speaking to people 
and then listen, you know, listening to what they're saying and then going out and researching it myself. And then the benefits of things like uh, psychedelics in, in recovery um, mentally, uh, what, what the future of that is going to hold and what, what the future of that looks like. Um, there's a, there is, uh, to be fair, there is a lot, but and also my ability, like I said, near the, the start, I think, I think empathy is something that you can learn. And, and that is definitely something that I'm better at a bit and we're better at listening and we're better at, um, like listening to like the nuance in their, in their story and then probing and prodding like something I think that, that they might not be, um, like honest with themselves with mm. and prodding into that. Um, so on a personal level, yeah, empathy is something, but then in a broader, you know, understanding what good mental health is, poor mental health, trauma, and um, where where psychiatry is going to lead, where where uh, addiction falls into all of this, and and self medication, and that they're the biggest things. I think there was an episode with Paul Merson, ex footballer Paul Merson, that you had that was an example of what you've just spoken about there of really tapping into something. And, and I think you got quite emotional on the episode as well. And it was uh, about his, his, his story with addiction. Paul Mason was the only episode where he had no link to the military and um, he knows my brother. So he lives near my brother who, who was in, but he didn't know who Paul was, you know? And then they, I said, look, I, I think I need this because I know there's an issue with gambling in the military. I know that. Um, so we got him on because I wanted to get his, and he was so amazing. He was so amazing. He's obviously still, he's still in a lot of pain. Um, and I've come to my own conclusions around, because I've listened to that back again. And it's a tremendous episode. Like, you know, the way he speaks is, is totally honest. Yeah. Um, to to a point, and when I say a point, I think he's still trying to figure things out as well. He's not being dishonest. He's just he's still got these things that are still processing. Um, and I and I think there's a lot of people self medicating as well, like getting by. And I think that's why it's good to appreciate the difference between self medication, a therapeutic activity, and therapy, and how self self medicating your trauma away or your, especially trauma, self-medicating away on alcohol or gambling or fitness or sex or whatever comes in, in those forms of self-medication, you know, there's, there's several understanding that and then understanding that. Um, and also if you're in a good place as well, but you're still, you know, you need to flog yourself in the gym to get to sleep at night. Um, or you're, you're, you're stunting, your growth or your stunt in your professional therapy, you know, with a, with a counselor or a therapist or a psychiatrist, understanding those things as well. I kind of went off on a, a bit of a rant there, but do you get my point? Like these, these, that, that episode is a great example of a problem and how it can escalate beyond by beyond any form of control. Yeah, and I think a lot of footballers from that era, because there was no support at all, it was you hide it or you bury it. And it's only recently, even I've heard Gary Neville and other footballers talk about it, only recently where um, it's actually the football clubs, or I'm sure it's sport-wide as well, start to think about we need to have medically trained people to or people trained to be able to come in and talk to them about their mental health issues or their general well-being because it it's not that is such an important side of it as well as being physically fit being mentally fit is is the service that they should be should be giving to them so it's, it is really interesting listening to to Paul and he was a, a, a great episode and another person that you've had on is is Brian Woody which is we've had on the Outside Native podcast and is the reason that we met because if you hadn't heard his story he was he, um served in Iraq and Afghanistan 
and and you can go back and listen to that episode for the full story but effectively he was running 25 marathons in 25 days and you were supporting him on i think it was day 14 it was remembrance sunday where we uh we met you planned out the route running (laughs) all the way from i think it was felton yeah to the iraq and afghanistan memorial in central and that was the first time that i had run a marathon and i know that your endurance sports you'd uh you'd you'd You've done that plenty of times, but that was, I would say, one of the most inspiring days that I've been a part of. Someone that's not, you know, no no connections to the military, but the understanding I got from that day from yourself and from Brian. And I'd like to ask a question about how how you tap when you go through those difficult times, you push through because I saw that from him helping him with that challenge. You get to a certain point, and you think he, he always describes that he's not a runner and and stuff like that even though he's done that challenge but he, I, I saw him push through so many different walls and it'd be interesting to to know your thought about whether it's that that it, I don't know if it's from the military or something you see it in endurance runners a lot from from people that I've spoken to but breaking through that barrier and having the willingness to go my body might be broken but mentally I'm going to push through anything and you must have had that with endurance sports as well well, what Woody did was was amazing, and he's he's rallying up again to do something very similar, yeah. tougher this year. And um, if you look at purpose and meaning, so his purpose wasn't to run a, run twenty five marathons. That was just the the transportation almost. There was messaging and meaning and purpose behind all that, and that was to 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 honour each person that died in Iraq and Afghanistan. You know a mile per person. So and it was a, it was a, and and, the, and people got behind that and he raised a lot of money because of it, you know, he's, he's messaging him. And so each mile he was doing it. If he'd have missed a mile, it's a, it's a, such a disrespect. It'd have been for him. It'd yeah. have been so disrespectful to that one individual. So he had great, great drive around that. Um, and I think, also, you in, you in endurance sport when it gets really tough, and um, I find, so I, I found that marathon really really difficult because I'd literally hadn't trained legs for about a year, <laughs> and I'd run twice the week before to try and kind of get you know get some form of um, some form was it of your distancing. hamstring or your quad. It was. It was ah, mate, like my quali- I was just fully falling over by the end of it because they were just they were cramping up. <laughs> Go on without me. Go on without me. <laughs> Go on. I'll catch you up. Um, yeah, and where was I? So, so, so it's the internal pressure you put on yourself as well because external. You know, look at Woody. He could have easily gone 15, 16 days in. He's got all sorts of stuff going on. I give it my best, but my body's shutting down. But his internal pressure won't allow that. His internal pressure won't allow it. But he has got very, very good psychological fitness as well. He is in a good place. He has good people around him. Not He has not always had this. He has good people around him. He's very self-aware. He is um, driven beyond motivation. He has got self-discipline. Uh, he loves the communities that he serves. And he, he, he likes... He likes to inspire people to take action. So for as you, well. when you're doing your all of the things that you've listed before, what gets you through that hard time? Just coming, just well, a little bit about that, like a bit about um, self-imposed pressure. Yeah. Also, can I swear on this? I think I have already. Anyway, just don't be a just just be fucking tough. You know, like this. All this is is this. Just don't get out your own backside. But just keep running. But just keep keep just do another mile or another X, another X. This is not that difficult. You know, in the grand scheme of things, yeah, you might run a marathon, or you might run hundred miles, or you might swim. You know, for a day, but all it is is a day. All it is is a week. All it is is a marathon. All it is is a, that's all it is. So all you got to do, like I'm, I'm looking at my ski egg now. And when I did that, it's only three hours. Mm. So all it is is three hours. All I've got to do is keep pulling that thing down for three hours. That's it. 
And so if you, if you keep it that simple, because it is simple. It's not easy because that's not the way it works. Running a marathon is simple, isn't it? Because all you got to do is run a marathon, but it isn't easy. And those two things shouldn't be mixed up as well. So just because, and knowing that is is quite nice, the simplicity of just keep walking, just keep carrying, just keep rowing. It isn't easy. Um, and, and also a little bit is like, not everyone can do this for various reasons. And that's a fact. Not everyone can. Lots of people don't want to, which is understandable as well. Why would you want to run 25 marathons? Why would you want to swim for 17 hours? Some people want to do it and cannot. So it's also been a, it's been a privilege as well. It's like that. Oh, I'm in a privileged position here. I might not be all my life, but I'm in a, it's a privilege to be able to, to do this. And I, I certainly felt that when, um, when supporting Brian on that day, I mean, he was every day he would have the names on his back of the people he was representing and, and remembering that day. Remember it would have been t- towards the end going, Oh, hurting a bit, legs are going, whatever, looking at the names in the back and going, and, and, and this came from him as well. And from the other the people that I met from the similar community in supporting that challenge was that this is nothing compared to the suffering that, that person, those families are going through. And that was a real mm. sort of, like you said, almost sobering experience going, this is just, a, this is just putting one foot in front of the other and you can, and, and that gets you through. So I, I think that can, well, I know that will definitely resonate with, with, uh, with the listeners of this podcast and a couple of questions to kind of finish on what's, what's next for you. You've done so much. You, you always keep yourself busy. You're always active, but what's, what, what are some things that you've got coming up for Michael Coates? Uh, the next, the next big thing we are doing something that we're we're billing as the world's longest casivac, so uh, casualty evacuation. We are six. There's a team of six of us, six of us, <laughs> um, team of six with a support crew. And we're going to start on the top of Mount Snowdon in mid October, and then we're going to carry a 75 kg stretcher that again, that beaver fit of design for us and, and fabricated. And we're going to carry that 75 kg stretcher to the top of Penny fan, 125 miles away. So again, 75 kg for the, the weight of the average person, um, 125 miles represents 125 suicides in, in the country each week. And it's hard to be able to go, how are we going to train for this? Well, just make yourself robust. And um, the number one thing is having the right people with the right temperament. And in this case, the right size. You can't have a six foot eight monster. (laughs) If you've got someone who's like me, five foot 11 on the, on the stretcher, (laughs) you know, it's quite tough. So getting the right people and the right support, and uh, yeah, this is going to be, I think, like everything I do, I think I've under initially underestimated it, but now it's about problem solving before, during, and then almost certainly afterwards as well. That's the, ne- that's the next thing. And then we've got a, a little twinkling of something in Normandy next year. Exciting. And I presume you'll be covering all of this on, on your social media as well. Yeah, all on social media. And we've got a videographer coming with us as well so we're going to make a, a film about that full thing um and get some good messaging around that as well like you know suffering and going into dark times and being together as a group uh, a supportive group um and then we've just got the film that's coming out called uh brutal that's coming out on youtube that was about the swim that we did uh, you know, last October, it's taken a while to get sorted out, but that that's coming out probably next week um, on YouTube. So I think that's hmm, pretty much, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's enough amount. for now. Just a small amount. I'm sure there'll be things that pop up and you think <laughs> you go, that would yeah. be interesting. But what, what's your, what's your Instagram where people can go and uh, can, can uh, Michael underscore underscore Coates, C-O-A-T-E-S. Yeah. And um, the podcast is in yeah, your description as well, isn't it? declassified podcast like i said that that's extremely yeah. inspiring for people looking for for those stories 
Um, just a couple of questions to end with. You've done so many different challenges. And like you said, apart from the 10 minutes before and the, the last 10 seconds, you hate it. But what's been the best moment during any of those challenges? You can take best in whichever definition that you may. Do you know, it, I was in really, one of the most inspiring things was in that swim where, and this is what comes to my mind straight away. And it was with Nathan who I swam it with, Nathan Jones who I swam it with. And he was in shit state. He was in, because he'd, he'd got a really bad cold like the day before. And just watching him just be stoic and just get on with it and not overcomplicate things. Just get back in the water and start swimming next to me. That that was a really amazing. And then all the support crew around making sure he was happy in those transitions through locks, because obviously we transition, you know, we portage through locks. Watching him do that, that was an amazing thing to be part of, to watch him. And it is only a cold, <laughs> but a cold when you're swimming in 10 degree water for 17 hours, that then really is very inspirational. So, so that was a, that was an amazing, an amazing thing. Amazing. And to top it all off, what piece of advice would you give to our next guest on the podcast? Focus on your support team, focus, whether that's physically or they're on the ground with you, um, but focus on your social support network, the people around you, they are, they make you everything. And I, I, for me, I'm nothing without my friends around me. Amazing. Coatsy, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening. And um, make sure you go and check out uh, your Instagram for all of the challenges coming up and also the Declassified podcast as well. Coatsy, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much, Tom. Cheers, mate. Thank you for listening to that episode of The Outside Nancy podcast. We hope that you felt inspired by Coatsy's story and... Maybe even you want to go out and try your own endurance sport. Again, as I said at the beginning, uh, sorry for the issues that we had with the previous episode. The episode with Harrison will be out. It will just be next week. As always, if you think there's someone that would enjoy this podcast just as much as you, then make sure to send it over to them and also to leave a review if you're on Apple Podcasts. Until next time, enjoy the outdoors.